we are continuing our series on kingdom vision and in particular uh, focusing on this idea of kingdom victory or the victory that we have uh, in Christ because of that. And last week we talked about building character or this idea of in the different stages that we go through in life, uh, we have different kind of challenges that we face. Uh, and, and actually walking closely to God is the most important part of that. And I wanted to expand on that a little bit. And as you couldn't tell, if you hopefully you could tell, that there's been this sort of a 8-bit sort of retro theme to this going on. Uh, in some ways really saying, as we are progressing through life or going through this adventure of life, uh, we are faced with kind of different challenges. Uh, and today we're going to think about this idea of actually what it means to kind of level up uh, or to move forward or to gain something in this kind of journey. Um, so, okay, so you might notice uh, this is the guy from last week. Uh, I was pointed out that I should um, try to dress more like him. So I wore a tie today. Um, and he is standing here, and he is now surrounded by lots of things, because this is kind of what the world thinks about when we think about leveling up. Uh, getting treasures, or uh, getting a new house, or getting a car, or being filled with all sorts of exciting things, maybe winning a medal somewhere, or getting a giant cake for your birthday. Um, these are the kind of the world's picture of what it means to level up. Now, maybe not directly, because not very many of us get treasures full of rubies, but this idea of that you get um, wealth, or security, or, or finances. Um, let me try painting in a different way. Um, being here in the UK, uh, I grew up in the States. I grew up in Los Angeles, and a lot of my friends, uh, they come from uh, upper-middle-class families, and so they uh, were encouraged to go into more high-earning uh, careers. And uh, some of them still go to church. Some of them go to church and also spend a lot of time uh, making lots of money. And so sometimes when I'm on Facebook or on Instagram um, and I'm scrolling through their lives, I think to myself, wow. This person's life is so much better than mine. Look, they're on another holiday. Oh my gosh, this guy rented a private jet to fly his wife to a Dodger game because she loves baseball. And I look at that and think, oh man, that's really living the life. Like, wow, they can rent their own private jet. Or I see my friend, he bought another Porsche, um, which is, uh, when I have a midlife crisis, that's the kind of car I would like to buy. Um, but I know I could never afford that. And sometimes what happens is when I'm watching those things or seeing someone move into a bigger house or get a better car or get a better job, there's this thing in my life, in my heart, that goes like, I'm jealous. I'm jealous that they have a better life. I'm jealous that they have these things. And I'm here in Birmingham where I, it's hard to find good sushi. Like, part of me is I don't want to be angry at them, and yet I'm jealous and I'm a little bit angry. But even worse than that, I'm unhappy with my own situation. I'm not satisfied where I am. And no matter where I look, I'm unhappy. And part of me thinks if I only could level up, or if I only could get something else, if I only could get this, then I would get better. I would be happier. I would be more secure. I would be safer. Everything would be better. And in our lives, we spend so much of our energy just trying to level up that way. Because to be honest, it makes a difference actually, doesn't it? Having a bigger house, having a nicer car. It does make a difference. And so for us, from a very normal, even like a living kind of standard, we look and say, yeah, we do want to achieve for more. But when we start being dissatisfied or finding actually, it's not just that I want more. It's that I want those people to have less. Or it's not just that I want more. It's that no matter what I have, I'm still not content. You start realizing that this world standard of leveling up, like this picture of what we think it looks like, is empty. Like, it's not satisfying in the long run. Now, of course, we're in church, so we always say that. Like, that's what Christians talk about. But, but the question is, like, but what, 
what does really satisfy us? If that's the world standard of leveling up, like gaining things, gaining degrees, gaining achievements, gaining accolades, what does God really desire? Like we know he doesn't want us to sit around and do nothing. What's God's picture of kind of moving forward? Um, in, in Luke, and we've been going through the book of Luke, and um, this is the verse that um, I was really drawn to. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses or forfeits his own soul? Like, what's the point if you gain all these things, but actually your own soul is lost? Like, God is trying to point out, look, we, 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 we can see the world standard. They're saying, gain for yourself stuff here on earth, and that's going to satisfy you. Gain praise from men. Get, gain approval from, from the things around you, and that's going to satisfy you. And God's saying, what if it, what, so what? What if you gain this whole world, but you've lost your soul? Our question needs to be then, well, what, what is our soul? What, what does it mean to really take care of your life, your soul? See, this is the verse that actually comes before that. If anyone would come after me, and this is Jesus talking, if anyone's going to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. In other words, this is the picture that God wants. You've got to take up your cross and follow me. Walk with me, and I'll show you how to actually move forward in life. But the hard part is the verse that follows that, it's, it's a hard read. It says this, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever who loses his life for my sake will save it. For those of you who can recognize that tone, well done. That's my Easter egg for today. But um, this, this thing, if you are trying to hold on to your life that you have here on earth, you're going to find out that in the end you've, you've lost it. You've gained nothing. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Like God is trying to paint this very different picture to this world's picture of what leveling up looks like. And he's trying to say there is something deeper, something spiritual, something unknown regarding your soul that you need to be pursuing because that will change your picture of things. He's not just saying, oh, don't buy a house or don't do these things. He's saying, look, you need to focus on something else. Our question is, what are we focusing on? Because the truth is, chasing the world is an empty game. At the end of the day, if you are chasing this world things, you're going to end up with nothing. But what God is saying is, you've got to somehow deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. Now, this is a, a verse a lot of us in church will have read before. And we know that in this picture, we know that Jesus himself takes his cross and walks up and gives his life for us. But, I mean, to be honest, like... like I'll be honest with you. What does that actually mean for us? Like, it's, it's one thing to say it. It's one thing to memorize it. Oh, I need to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow him. But what does it really mean? How do we actually deny ourselves and take up our cross? Like, what does it even mean to deny ourselves? Like, sometimes I think of, um, like, so every, every January, as January rolls around, I try to think of myself, well, Bert, uh, you've started to put on a little bit of weight Maybe you should deny yourself Doritos, or maybe you should deny yourself ice cream all the time. You know, and you think of yourself, deny yourself as some way of just saying, well, I'm going to resist that. I'm going to resist that kind of food or resist that kind of purchase for myself. Is that what denying ourselves looks like? Actually, I want us to really understand what Jesus is talking about here. And we're going to start, and this is going to be part one. Hopefully, this will help you understand it. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus tells this parable. He says, um, he's talking to his disciples, uh, the people, he tells them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. 
Today in the morning service, there's actually a, a blind guy that comes to our church. And after service, he was like, ha, ah, so true. A blind person leading a blind person. We're not going to go anywhere. Um, and uh, I was, I, I will say, as I was reading this out until I remembered he was here, I thought, oh my gosh, I hope I'm not being on PC here. But afterwards, he was like, this is so true. Because for a lot of us, and you understand, the world has taught us a way of looking at things. It's taught us that pursuing these kind of achievements or loving up this way is going to satisfy us. And Jesus is saying that's like a blind person leading a blind person. Our value systems are out of place because we've, we're just following the world leading. We're following whatever the world has taught us. And we're, and we're happy to go down that road because we don't know any better. It's the blind leading the blind. And Jesus is trying to say, but, you know, if you have a teacher, right, someone, a disciple is not above his teacher. Don't think you know better than Jesus. You have to follow the teacher. And as you follow him, you too will be trained to be like that. Now, if we're thinking again, like, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And you're saying, yeah, okay, God, I know I need to deny myself. I need to take up my cross and follow you. The first thing I need to do is follow you, right? No, the first thing is you need to figure out what it means to deny yourself. And this is where we come to the second part of this teaching, Right after that verse where he says, the blind lean the blind, and then you have to follow the teacher, trust the teacher. He then says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck that is in your eye, and when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck that is out of your brother's eye. Now this passage is saying, look, I know sometimes we like to point at other people and say, oh, you've got this thing wrong in your life, or you're doing this thing wrong. Um, you should change this. You should act this way differently. I mean, I, this happens to be all the time. That time I sprained my ankle in Chinatown and fell down in the street and fainted. When I woke up, there was a bunch of Chinese people telling me, you should have eaten breakfast. You should have more sugar. You should go around the street in the corner. There's a shop here that sells really good food. You should buy that. Like, we always want to tell people what they should have done to make their life better. And when we talk about sin, it's just as much, right? We like to point out other people's sins. Oh, you, you shouldn't do that, or you shouldn't act like that, or you should be more humble, or you shouldn't be jealous. But we're very bad at recognizing our own sin. Like, if someone says to us, oh, you shouldn't do that either, you say, don't tell me what to do. Like, I'm not as bad as you. Husbands and wives, these are the fights that we have all the time, isn't it? We're always saying, you should have done this. And they says, no, you can't tell me what to do. And then they say, yes, I can. And then you're over that. But this whole point is this. This log that's in our eye, whatever that is, we need to say, God, I need to figure out how to remove that instead of being so quick to look at someone else. Rewind again, the idea of denying yourself, take up your cross and follow me. It's Jesus saying, look, don't, don't so, be so focused on what someone else's problem is. You need to deny yourself. Now, this is the log that's in your eye. Like, it's massive, right? It's like a uh, small log, right? And what we're really saying is, actually, Jesus, can you reveal to me what is causing my blindness? What is making me spiritually blind? I need you to reveal that to me so that I can actually move forward. See, this whole picture of a log in your eye, the reason it is so intense, it's, it's basically saying, if you have a log in your eye, you cannot see. Like, you could probably even get your head off the ground because the log is a fairly significant piece of wood. But we don't realize how distorted or how blurred our vision is. We need to ask the teacher to reveal our blind spots. What is the area of my life that's affecting my vision, the way I see things? 
But again, I mean, the deeper question is actually what, what is a blind spot? See, a blind spot, if we try to think about these logs, the best way I could think about it is actually it's, it's sins. It's different kind of sins that we let have hold in our life. See, sin, the worst thing about sin is it affects the way we see everything. The moment you have sin in your life, and we all have sin in your life, it affects that we see every kind of situation. So some of these are kind of loosely based on the Ten Commandments to help give us some idea. Like pride, like have no other gods before me. Pride in the sin of pride that you have. Now, when we think of pride, we always think, oh, you think you're better than someone else. You think you're smarter than someone else. Or you think you're better than God. You think you're smarter than God. And we'll say, oh, but Bert, I don't think that. No, we think that all the time. When we make decisions for ourselves, when we act selfishly, when we don't ask God what he thinks and, or God tells us, you know, you have to love your neighbor. And you're like, nah, not this neighbor. You know, like we're always telling God what we think, but we're not really listening to him. See, pride is actually two parts. The first part of pride is saying, I don't really need God. I, I don't really need your advice because I know what I'm doing. I like, I think I'm smarter than you in that way. The flip side of that pride is actually saying, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not important enough that God should care about me. Like, that's the negative side of pride, where you feel so useless or so worthless. I'm a failure. Nobody loves me. God couldn't use me. God doesn't love me. You believe that lie, that also puts you in a place that you think you're so bad, God couldn't love you. You think you're so great, you don't need God, or you're so bad, you don't, God couldn't love you. And that is both pride. Now, understand how this works. If you have that log in your eye, the log of pride, the way you see the world is totally affected, isn't it? You might find yourself more snappy when someone tries to give you advice. You might find yourself more short-tempered around certain people. You may be more competitive at a workplace in a negative way. It gets worse than that, doesn't it? It's about like when you hear about uh, professors stealing their, their students' PhD work. I don't think they start out doing that. They don't have a plan to do this when they start off. But they begin to get more prideful or they get arrogant. And they begin to have this blind spot. They start to think, that's okay, that I can do that. You understand how sin, so pervasive, transforms the way you live and the way you act. Because it's affecting your eyesight. And you become so blind you can't see forward. Another one is, is greed and envy. You know, uh, where it says, do not covet. And the Ten says, do not covet. And here we are being greedy or envious. And that's really idolatry, this idea that somehow my satisfaction can come from the world. I will be happy if the world satisfies me in this way, if I have these things. And it's really difficult when you see these things. And it's really difficult for me because I will look online and I will see my friends' lives. And I think, oh, they have more successful lives. They're more happy. They have written books. Someone's book is getting op optioned by Netflix. Uh, my other friend's a writer for LA Times. And I think to myself, I'm not as good as them. Uh, to be honest, I am envious. I am jealous of their position. Now, the problem is when you have that log in your eye, that log of jealousy, not only can I not be happy for my friends, I cannot be happy for myself. I cannot see how good God is to me already. And the jealousy prevents me from doing anything, using my money wisely, learning how to bless other people. You understand, right? These things change the way you see the world. The more and more you realize how bad sin is, how pervasive it is, how much it affects your, your lifestyle and your vision, you begin to understand, oh, that is affecting the way I live. And I need to really start getting these things out of my life. Going through a couple other ones, sloth and laziness. Again, this is your unwillingness to be responsible for your own life. 
to saying, well, this is my responsibility. God has given me this life. What should I do with it? A lot of times we just want to say, well, it's God's will, whatever God desires, and you don't want to take any responsibility. Or, and my friend used to say this to me, Bert, you take responsibility for nothing. You just run away when things get bad. Um, uh, true fact, one of the reasons I came to the UK was because I was running away from my many problems in the States, in particular with my church there. So I had many people who were not happy with me, so I thought maybe I should run away to another country for a little bit, and that would be better. Um, this is not a legal thing, by the way. I am allowed to enter the US. Um, so um, I was only here as an intern uh, just for a few months uh, at that time, and I went back, uh, and God actually helped me to clear up things with those people before I came out for the long term. But I could see that at that point, that person was right. I was avoiding responsibility. I was avoiding the fact that I was responsible for some things, for the way I treat other people, for the way I treated my family, for the way I thought about these people. And I, God really needed to teach me, look, your willingness to avoid responsibility, to be lazy in that way, that affects everything. That affects the way you treat even the things that he's given you. The flip side to this, and for a lot of us Chinese people, this is our problem. We don't know how to rest. The problem with, and in the Ten Commandments, it's very interesting, right? We look at the Ten Commandments, we're like, yeah, don't commit adultery, definitely. You know, oh, don't murder, obviously. You must keep the Sabbath day holy. What <laughs> kind of, I mean, that, is that really up there with murder, Jesus? Like, I mean, couldn't you have put something else there instead? But it is, it is that important, right? It's one of the ten. If God said, I got to make a list of ten things, I'm putting this thing as one of them. And here we are like, the, the thing about rest is this. It's not about just doing nothing. It's about saying, actually, God, I trust you. And I want to give my time. I want to prioritize my time and my life with you above even my own work. And that is really hard to do because when you're at work, they're always breathing down your neck. They're always pushing you for more. And it's really hard to say, well, God, I, I trust you. I trust you even in this that I will still prioritize you over something else. My wife is very uh, diligent. She's very hardworking. She's uh, the opposite of me. She's uh, clean and organized and takes care of things very well. And when she was in university and she was doing her master's degree, her final year in Cardiff University after her year of placement, and she was there, and the Cardiff church was not as big as ours, and she was serving the youth group. And... Uh, she was also starting to date me, and that was also like wasting, I'm not wasting her time. That's the wrong phrase to say about her dating me, but, um, and that was not some slip about how I feel, she feels about me. Um, <laughs> however, um, she, we were starting to date, and she was also very stressed out because she wanted to get a first in her degree, because she had done so well so far. And actually, she loves planning. She's actually really good at it. Um, Oh, that's her job, town planner, not just like I plan things. Um, and uh, she said, oh, Bert, you know, I've been really praying about it, and I know that the youth group really needs me to serve. Like, I, and I've been with them for a long time, but I really want to do well on my course. I really want to do well. And then, well, I wasn't a pastor then, so I was just, I didn't give any good advice. And she said, but you know what? I really believe that actually giving it to God, I want to trust God with my degree, that I give my time to serve him in this way. Now, for all of us, we'd say, you just have to plan better. But my wife already works really hard. So for her, she's actually saying, no, I, I'm sacrificing some time I could use for other things because I want to prioritize God in this. And uh, on top of that, it wasn't because it was painful or difficult. Because she loved serving them, but she wanted to do that. In the end, uh, she served the youth, and she got a first. And when she got the first, 
it was great because she didn't walk away saying, yeah, I am really that awesome. I got to aim higher than this Burke guy. Um, <laughs> she, she, uh, she, she said, the amazing thing about this is I can only give glory to God that I got this first. You know, I worked hard and, and God knew I wanted it. But I thank him so much because not only that, I got to serve the youth as well. She got like double blessing as opposed to just the degree. And again, that's that real picture of, you know, when you're chasing the world's treasures versus if you're chasing God's, you gain something else. And for her, it's denying herself this, this sin that kind of gets in the way. Like, do you just work yourself to death or do you understand, look, I actually, God is so important to me. Then you prioritize him more above other things. We're seeing this a little bit further, this idea of hate. When we hate one another, you know, when we, and that's closely tied to this idea of murder, right? And it's maybe not to that extent, but when you hate someone so much, you can just treat them wrong. And this hateful worldview, we're seeing this more and more in the West. Uh, it's more polar opposite sides on, on when people vote, on whether they think about whether uh, Megan should leave here or she should stay, or, you know, everyone wants to hate someone for something else. And you can see that that blurs our vision so much, and in the same way, the last one is deception. This idea where we reject the truth of God, and we choose only the things that we want for ourselves. All of these kind of logs, they end up in our eyes. And for some of us, we have a lot of these logs in our eyes. In fact, if there's so many logs here, you could probably build a small village. There's this whole point of you letting this stuff blur your vision completely, distorting the way God wants us to see one another and also see this world. Our question is we need to ask God, God, can you show me what is the sin that keeps me from moving forward? Like really asking God, what is it that affects my, my viewpoint? Is it my insecurity? Is it my pride? Is it my selfishness? Is it my greed? Is it my lust? What is it that prevents me from moving forward? Will you reveal that to me? Because if I really want to level up spiritually, if I really want to move forward spiritually, I have to seek that out. It's at this point in our message that I'm going to pause. We are like a video game. We're going to pause for a moment. And I want you guys to actually ask this question. To think about for yourself, what's the biggest sin obstacle in your life? And I believe this is something God himself will tell you. And he'll prompt in your heart and say, you know, it's this. You know, this is the thing you need to deal with. This is the thing you need to stop doing. This is the attitude that you have that God wants to convict you with. Now, I just want us to be still just a little bit before. Don't, it's not the end of the sermon, so don't get excited. Um, the Part two is coming up, um, but I do want you to pause for a little bit and just to think and to ask that question. You'll actually ask Jesus, what's the biggest sin obstacle in my life? Will you reveal it to me? Let's just be still before him for now. Lord Jesus, as your spirit speaks into each of our lives, Lord, will you either give it to us in a word or a picture, what it is that is the obstacle in our life? And I know it's very hard for us sometimes to verbalize or to understand. So, Lord, we seek your spirit's clarity, that you reveal to us and show us why we act in certain ways, why we lash out in certain ways, so we can begin asking you to show us how to remove that, how to get that out of our life so that we can follow you our great teacher. We lift this up to you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if the first part is understanding, look, we need to identify what is the log in our eye, 
What is the thing that's getting in our way? The second part is, okay, Bert, now that we know that, how do we get rid of it? How do we move forward from this? Like, how do we actually move forward from these kind of attitudes or perspectives or sin in our life? And it's this point that I want to take us back into the Old Testament and part two and tell you this story about this man called uh, Goliath. It's all right. I didn't hear anything. Um, the, Goliath is this giant of a man, and I will read this out. This is coming from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to the face of the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Now this big Philistine, this enemy of Israel, comes out. And he is giant. He is mammoth. And he's all coated in bronze. What's interesting is bronze very brown. You might see a similarity with the logs that we just saw. So you all, so that's where I'm going with this. Okay. Um, so this giant's obstacle is in their way. And he's coming out and he's saying, Israelites, if you find a champion to fight me, UFC number one, if you come out and fight me, whoever wins, you know, we will become servants of the other side. But of course, everyone in Israel is like, freaked out because like no one that we know is going to be able to fight this guy so they're all really scared and he comes out goliath comes out and he's out there and he's saying you know your guys are so weak and he outright says i defy the armies of israel today send me a man who will fight me and when saul the king at the time and the israelites heard this they were terrified and deeply shaken see when they saw this guy goliath he's so big so impossible to defeat they just thought well we're doomed like, I can't do anything to get past here. We'll never move forward in our life. Now, if we understand this and we see this on one hand, this is a story from the Bible. We can also see this as a metaphor. You know, this is like a sin that stands in your way like Goliath. Like, there is some obstacle in your life, this attitude, this perspective, whether it is uh, sloth or insecurity or envy or vanity, whatever it is that stands in your way, like, but Bert, it's not just that I can't go past it. It's who I am. That's what we say to ourselves. Like, I can't, I can't change that. It's who I am. Do you know if you live with a log in your eye long enough, you just start to think it's part of who you are? And God is saying, no. That, that thing, you cannot get comfortable with that in your life. It is not who you are. It does not define you anymore. You have to say, that, that is the blind part of me, and I want to move past this. And God, I believe that you're victorious in this. Because that's what we see after that, right? We know what happens to David and Goliath. David kills the giant Goliath, right? And this is how he does it, right? He shows up, and he shows up, and he's like, hey, all these armies, why are you guys all standing around here? And who's that giant guy out there? And they're like, oh, that guy said, you know, he's going to fight us. One of us has to fight him, blah, 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 blah. And then David looks at him and says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Like, David shows him and says, like, I don't, get, I don't get what the problem here is. God is so—why would you let anyone talk smack about the armies of God? Like, that's ridiculous. And so, so David's saying there, and then uh, his brother shows up. His brother, who is already there, he says to David, um, Oh, why are you here? You're here. I know what you're like. And he actually says, you're perverse. You just want to see here to see the bloodshed. I know your heart. And David's like, what? That's not what I said. And he just turns and asks the other people, why is this Philistine here? Why isn't anyone going out to defeat him? See, when you are faced with a sin, 
there are going to be people around you saying, you should just do it. Just feel fine. It's okay. Just do what you want to do. You know, just be there with your girlfriend. It's okay. Or just, oh, go spend money on yourselves. It's fine. You know, there's, it's so easy because that's the way the world is, right? It's not a problem. And like even, even David's brother is trying to say, oh, get out of here. I know what's really going on. But, but David's always so focused. He's like, you know what? This, this thing, this Goliath that's standing here, he should not be here. We should not allow this guy to stand here and say something that's not true in front of the fact that these are the armies of the living God. He goes on, he goes to the king and says, let no man's heart fall because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Like David shows him and says, you know what, King Saul, hey man, I'll go and fight him. It's interesting because King Saul says, um, so Goliath, he has been training to fight in war since he was a kid. Like this is his full-time job and now he's a grown man. I don't think you have a chance, right? It'd be like sending a Liverpool young squad out to play against Everton's full team, right? It's a ridiculous kind of concept. Like, why would you do that? Um, and David, and then King Saul looks at David, you are just a young man, and you have not trained to do this. There's no way you can do this. And David's response is, is, he says, well, your servant, you know, me, used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth, and if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Like, David's like, I got experience. I've killed lions and bears and stuff. I've chased them down, and if they come at me, I grab their beard. Like, I grab them by their mouth. Like, that's what he's saying, right? And then I killed them. Like, I'm not afraid. Because I know. And then he goes on, right? Because he's not just saying, I'm not afraid. He said, your servant has, and he's telling the king, right? Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. David's saying, look, I've done this. I've practiced this already. But the reason I go out against this guy, because this guy is saying something that's not true. Like he's deceiving. He's saying that he's somehow better than living God. And then he, he finishes off by saying this. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. See, David's very clear. It's not just about his experience or his skill. It's the fact that God himself is greater than this thing. Now, now if David knows God is greater than Goliath, don't we know that God is bigger than any sin that we have in our life? Not just that he forgives you for it. Do you understand? It's not just that he forgives you for this sin. He conquers it. Like, he defeats it. Like, we do not have to have sin reign in our hearts anymore because God is victorious over it. We thank God that he forgives us because we make so many bad mistakes. But the greater news is that God is victorious over the sin. We do not have to live in it any longer. In other words, like David, we have to know your God. You have to know who God is. The victory is already in Christ. See, Goliath, like the sin, sin defies God. It's trying to say, oh, God's not good enough. God's not powerful. You know, just do what you want. Sin defies God. Don't let it have victory in your life. Don't settle for letting it say, oh, yeah, well, that's just who I am. That's just, I'm just destined to be like a lazy bum. It's really saying, God, your victory, your triumph reign over my life. You conquer the sin so I do not see the world that way anymore. In Romans 6, 2, it says, how can we who die to sin still live in it? In other words, there's no reason why we should be stuck in sin because Christ is victorious. We don't live that way anymore. 
So after this, Saul says to David, okay, well, let me give you all the armor. Let me give you my best uh, sword, and I'll send you out. You'll be ready to fight. And David puts on all the stuff, and he's like, dude, I can't, I can't go out like this. And he says, um, he doesn't say, oh, I can't go out like this because it doesn't fit. He says, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Like, you understand, right? This is a, this is a war. Like, he's, he's, he should have some armor, right? Okay. Um, but he puts this on, and he says, oh, I can't do this because I haven't tested this. Like, what's that mean? Like, in other words, I don't have experience using swords and wearing this armor. When I move around, this is not something I'm used to. And in other words, I have not prepared to go out in this way. So instead, he goes out with what he is prepared with. He gets his staff. Like, what are you going to do with the staff? Ta! Uh, practice again, Goliath. Ta! Like, you're playing the piano wrong. Now, what's he going to do, right? He goes, he goes to the river, and he uh, pulls out five smooth stones. And he put, I love it. And he puts them in his shepherd's pouch. You can imagine, like, this little bag. He's got, like, a, a man bag, and he's carrying a stick, and he's going for a walk. And then he goes to see uh, Goliath. And he's like, hi! Um, right? And <laughs> but this whole thing about this is that Somewhere along the way, David has had experience fighting beasts, fighting large animals. And he knows actually the, the key to it isn't necessarily having a big weapon or armor, right? But he knows he's probably faster and smarter. He's quicker. So he goes and says, well, this is what I know. This is what I've tested. And this is how I'm going to go out. For ourselves, look, if we know that this is our sin and we've God's help to identify it, and we're saying, God, we know that you're victorious over it, we want him to just say, well, no more. You have no more lustful feelings ever again in your heart, right? Like, yay, you have no more pride. You always think perfectly. Like, I would love it to be that way. That'd be so super easy and super awesome. But normally what I found is God does this thing where he works alongside us. He teaches us along the way. Like, we continue to move with him. Like, when David's doing that, he's actually developed. He, he knows what he needs to develop in himself. And he's trying to say, look, I need to prepare myself for action. And for ourselves, we're saying, look, if this is a sin that I have to face in my life, how do I prepare myself for that? And the question we need to ask ourselves, what are our five smooth stones? What are the stones that we have to prepare ourselves for that? The way I like to think about the stones are actually our our habits. Like, what are the, the things that we are confident that if I have that, when temptation comes, I know how to defeat it. When temptation comes, I know how to run from it, or I know how to counter it with either the word of God or a help of a friend, or I keep myself out of those situations. So, for example, let's say it's, it's laziness. Let's say you're just, re- you're just really hard. You know you need to work. You know you got to work, but you can't because you're just so lazy, right? You're like, oh, it's not just I'm lazy. I'm just so tired. You know, I have all these things. You know, for a lot of us, we just let ourselves settle for that kind of place. And God is actually saying, well, if you know that's your thing, what are the five stones that you're going to Well, one is, well, you've got to change your habits. You've got to change the way you live your life. First off, you've got to say, well, God, let me spend time with you. So you start carrying my heart in the right way. Second thing you realize, you know what really helps me is when I'm with other people and they're, I'm not like studying, lying down on my bed, right? Like that is prime time where I'm going to fall asleep. Or I cancel my Netflix subscription because I discovered I actually waste a lot of time thinking I'm studying while watching Netflix at the same time, right? You understand, like, you're, you're actually making choices to say, like, God, I, I want to equip myself against this battle and this sin. What choices do I need to make to actually move forward in this? So we talk about greed or envy. If you know that's one of your big issues and you say, well, it's really hard because when I see other people have stuff, I want it as well. You know what's a great stone against greed and envy? Generosity. Like when you are practicing giving money away, 
it really makes it, you really have a lot less energy to be greedy. Because generosity, the power of generosity, actually transforms the way you treat other people and the way you think about things. You see other people in need, and the love that pours from there transforms. And you start realizing, wow, that's a powerful stone against greed. The love I have to give things away. See, in First Peter it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, really get your heart and mind ready to work for Christ. So this is what happens with David and Goliath, and we kind of know, right? So um, David and Goliath, they're facing off. Um, David really looks like me. Um, you, <laughs> a little slimmer. Uh, you come to me with sword and with a spear, and this is what David, well, it's funny because Goliath shows him and says, you're sending dogs out to hunt me? What's going on? Um, and David shows him, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And he comes out, and he's so clear, like, look, I'm out to fight you because you are defying the name of God. We cannot have that. Now, this is the part that should resonate most to us. If you love God, if you know how great he is, you cannot stand to have anything dishonor his name. Like, you won't want anyone to say anything bad about God because it brings dishonor to him. You know when you really love someone or you really care about your family members, if someone comes along and just starts saying really bad things about them that aren't true, you would want to defend them because, you know, the honor of this person is being dragged through the mud. David comes out and says, look, I stand out here for the honor of my king, of my God. We let sin rule in our life without even caring the fact that that is dishonoring God's name. Like, we, we're okay with that sin in our life. When actually it should be like, God, I hate that this sin is in my life because it dishonors you. Like, I want so much for this to be gone because I don't want this to drag your name through the mud. I want your name to be honored above everything else. So, it is a story I haven't told in a long time. So, um... I used to live in this house across from this fitness uh, gym. And so my wife and I used to live in this house. And then there was um, uh, cars used to park in our driveway, like uh, blocking our driveway so we can't get our cars out. And used to always really frustrate me, really annoy me. And I like, kept wanting to go into the, to the gym to tell them off. And then uh, one day, uh, this, car, uh, this car had parked in blocking our driveway. But it wasn't the gym, people. It was a house that was doing some renovation. And the builders parked their car in, my, in our, blocking our drive. So I was really annoyed. And when I came out, I said, can you move your car you know, this is not, uh, this, you can't park here, okay? Can you just park on the street? And like, sorry, man, sorry, man. So like, okay, I'm like, whatever. They did it another couple times. Then one day they did it, and I was, I was so angry. I was just, I lost it. The red mist fell down, and I forgot that I'm only five foot three. And I marched over, um, I marched over to the, to the door of the house, and I was, I banged on the door as hard as I could. And I didn't know that they were just standing right behind the door. So it was really like, bam, bam, bam. And then they immediately opened it because they were standing there. And they looked at me. I said, move your stupid car. And then I just, I just raised back. And again, the reason I'm bringing this, that sin that I had is full of rage, a selfishness, pride. And it distorted my view of everything, like what, who these people are. Like I forgot that they're even humans, that they're working. Like I just treated them like dirt because my whole worldview was shifted because of sin. Yeah, the sin is not that they parked their car in front of my house. The sin is that I have this distorted picture of things. 
because of that. And I marched back into my house, and I was so mad, and they came and moved their car. And then as I was in the house, and I was mad and started calming down, I suddenly thought, oh, no. What if they find out I'm a pastor? Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Like, they can never come to church. I could never see these guys again. I can't see them anywhere. Because if they find out I'm a Christian, then it's like, oh, is that what Christians are like? It's so bad. And I, and I felt so ashamed because I thought, oh, I'm ashamed because I, I follow my king, God, and I've just totally dishonored his name so bad that I have to think about moving house so that I never see these people again. Like, it seems a bit extreme, but, and I, and I, and I was like, oh, great, great. What should I do? What should I do? Um, and then, I, well, actually, this was a, a few days later. Then I said, okay, I, I don't want to do it. Um, so I, I, I felt really bad, and I said I should go and apologize to them. So I did the Chinese thing. I got a bag of oranges, and uh, I walked across the street, and, and I knocked on the door gently. And uh, the guys opened the door, and they saw me, and they were like, no, the car's not parked there. I said, no, no, it's, it's okay. I'm sorry. I, I just, just want to say, say I'm sorry. I, I totally overreacted. I didn't, I didn't mean, you know, it was really wrong of me. You guys can park your car there whenever you want. I'll just come and knock on the door. And it was this thing where, I, <laughs> and they were, I think they were really confused because one, I gave them oranges. Um, and, and it's this thing where you start realizing, look, when you understand our God is so great, you, you don't want anything in your life to bring him dishonor. You don't want anything to bring him down. And when you start realizing the way we, we see the world, the way we treat other people is so dishonorable, you, you're like, oh, God, I don't, I don't want that. And so for me to go over them, that was nothing. That was like I didn't make up enough because I knew that the sin that I let dwell in my life affect my worldview of them just makes it so wrong. You start realizing, God, anything I can do for the honor of my king, I don't want any Goliath to stand in this way. See, the, the truth of the matter, and the beautiful thing is, um, no, there, for the honor of our king. Um, the beautiful thing is that actually the victory is Christ. He has already won. He's already triumphed over sin. We have received forgiveness, but it's even better than that. He conquers sin. Goliath is removed. So we prepare ourselves. We say, oh, God, so teach me, train me. The things that I'm working through, the big log that in my life, help me to whittle it down bit by bit so that I can start seeing clearly. Help me to focus on you, Jesus. So if we look at this list again of all these kind of things and all these logs that kind of get in the way, you know, whether it is pride or uh, the, refusing to trust God even with our time or whether it's hate or deception, all these things, if we leave them there, it is like a wall that we can't get past. And you can't move past all these things. But you have to understand, look, if we want to follow Christ, we have to say, actually, God, I, I deny. I deny this part of me. You know, I reject it. Like, it's not just deny saying, like, I don't, I don't want that. It's like, I reject this. I don't want any part of this in my life. I will deny that. I'll take that and leave it to the side, and I will follow you, Christ, every day, saying, yeah, those sins are dead to me. They are dead on the cross, and I walk following you each day. Our prayer is this, actually, and, and the challenge is this, to say, God, remove the sin that blinds me. Get rid of that sin that blinds me. The biggest way to move forward is to get past this boss fight that blinds you, that keeps you from moving forward. Then follow Christ on the walk of holiness, like this real pursuit to say, yeah, God, actually, for the honor of my king, I love and yearn for more holiness in my life. And then you discover that Christ's love and life will replenish you. 
you begin to understand just the joy of what it means to have this life. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. It's like David, actually. He's saying there, and he's like, yeah, am I really going to defeat Goliath? I don't care. I know I can do it. I know God is there. But he is willing to lose his life for the honor of our king. It's the same way for us. As the sermon comes to a close, I want to pause again, and just before the worship team comes up, I want to pray, and I want to pray for us to actually ask God to remove those sins that blind us, to really change that picture of the way we see the world. Will you join me in praying? Now, as you're here and your, your eyes are closed and your heads are bowed, think about actually the sin or the attitude or the obstacle that's in your life. And, and maybe it's not one of those logs I put down, but it's what God's pressing on your heart, the biggest obstacle that you find to freedom or to joy to him. And, 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 and I'm going to pray this prayer and just you can follow on you. God, remove the sin in my heart and in my mind. Remove that Goliath from me. Let me see clearly what my enemy is, and it is not flesh and blood, but it's against this evil that wages war against my soul. God, I believe that you are victorious, that you have overcome sin. So let me not fall into temptation, but deliver me from evil. For it is your kingdom, your kingdom's victory, and your kingdom's life. God, grant me the five smooth stones I need to defend myself against sin. And let me walk in the courage and victory of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you come and respond and worship, take this time really just to come before God and surrender um, the battles that you're facing to him. Let's come and worship.